0: chapter 4 of the makers of canada champlain this librevox recording is in the public domain the makers of canada champlain by Narcisse utrop dion chapter 4 champlain's voyages of 1610 1611 1613 champlain embarked at honfleur with 11 artisans for quebec on march 7th 1610 the rough weather experienced during the first days of the voyage rendered it necessary for the vessel to run into portland on the english coast and later to seek refuge in the harbour of the isle of wight at this time champlain was taken suddenly ill and was obliged to return by boat to havre de Grace to undergo medical treatment a month after he rejoined his former vessel which in the meantime had returned to honfleur to take in ballast champlain had now somewhat recovered although he was still weak and ill the vessel left honfleur on april eighth and reached tadoussac on the twenty sixth of the same month which was one of the shortest passages ever made up to that time quote, there were vessels says champlain which had arrived on the eighteenth of the month a thing which had not been seen for more than sixty years as the old mariners said who sail regularly to this country quote. this remark proves that for more than half a century french fishermen and navigators had been accustomed to proceed as far as tadoussac a basque named Lavalette, who had been accustomed to fish on the Acadian coast from about the year 1565, also confirms the statement. On his arrival at Tadoussac, Champlain ascertained from a young nobleman, named Duparc, who had wintered with Chauvin at Quebec, that all the settlers were in good health, and that only a few of them had been slightly ill. They had been able to procure fresh meat during the whole season, and consequently scurvy had not made its appearance. Quote, by avoiding salt food and using fresh meat, the health is as good here as in France. End quote the indians had been waiting from day to day for the return of champlain for they wished him to accompany them to war he therefore went ashore to assure them that he would fulfil his promise under the conditions made namely that upon his return they would point out to him the three rivers and the lake which they had described as resembling a sea the end of which could not be seen and by means of which he could return by way of the saguenay to tadousac the indians had readily promised to do all this but only in the following year champlain had also promised the hurons and algonquins that he would assist them in their wars if they would show him their country the great lake and the copper mines quote, i had accordingly he said two strings to my bow so that in case one should break the other might hold quote. on april twenty fifth sixteen ten champlain set out from tadousac for quebec where he found captain chauvin and his companions in good health they had with them a stranger called captain Bastican who was so pleased at champlain's return that he and his comrades showed their appreciation by singing and dancing all night champlain entertained them at a banquet with which they were delighted some days after a party of the montagnais numbering about sixty men made their appearance at quebec en route for the war they presented themselves before champlain and said quote, here are numerous basques and mistigoches so they named the normans and malouin who say they will go to the war with us what do you think of it do they speak the truth End quote champlain answered no i know very well what they really mean they say this only to get possession of your commodities the indians replied you have spoken the truth they are women and want to make war only upon our beavers confiding in champlain's word the montagnais went to three rivers under the agreement that a general rendezvous should be held there with the french the hurons were to await them at the entrance of the iroquois river champlain started on his journey on june fourteenth when he was eight leagues from quebec he met a canoe bearing an algonquin and a montagnier who entreated him to hasten towards three rivers as the algonquins and hurons would be at the meeting-place within two days the algonquins presented champlain with a piece of copper a foot long and quite pure and stated that there were large quantities to be found on the bank of a river near a great lake the indians also stated that they collected the copper in lumps and after they had melted it spread it in sheets and smoothed it with stones champlain was well pleased to receive this present although it was of small value the montagnais assembled at three rivers and on june eighteenth they all set out together on the following day they arrived at an island situated at the mouth of the river richelieu which the montagnais used to frequent when they wished to avoid the iroquois an alarm was soon given that the algonquins had fallen in with a band of iroquois numbering one hundred who were strongly barricaded each man then took his arms and set out in a canoe towards the enemy the firing immediately began and champlain was wounded by an arrow which pierced his ear and entered his neck he seized the arrow and withdrew it from the wound the iroquois were much astonished at the noise caused by the discharge of the french muskets and some of them seeing their companions wounded or dead threw themselves upon the ground whenever they heard a musket fired champlain resolved after a while to force the barricade sword in hand which he accomplished without much resistance and entered the fort fifteen prisoners were taken and the rest were killed either by musket-shots arrows or the sword the savages according to their custom scalped the dead the montagnan and algonquins had three killed and fifty wounded on the following day pont and chauvin did some trading in peltry amongst champlain's party There was a young man named Nicolas Marsolet who desired to accompany the Algonquins in order to learn their language, and he was pleased to learn that after much deliberation the Algonquins had decided to take him, on the condition that Champlain accepted a young Huron as hostage. The Indian boy was named Savignon by the French. Lescarbot writes that he met this youth many times in Paris, and that, quote, he was a big and stout boy, end quote. The French and the allied Indians separated with many promises of friendship. The Indians departed for the fall of the great river of Canada, and the French, with Champlain at their head, proceeded to Quebec. On the return journey they met at Lake St. Peter, pont who was on his way to Tadoussac, to arrange some business connected with headquarters. pont contemplated passing the winter at Quebec, but in the meantime Desmarets arrived from France, much to the delight of every one, as his vessel was long overdue. The news which he brought, however, was so serious that both Champlain and pont decided to return to France. The intelligence received was to the effect that M. de Saint-Luc had expelled the Catholics from Brouage, that the King had been killed, and that the Duke of Sully and two other noblemen had shared the same fate. Champlain was much distressed over the condition of affairs in France, and on his departure he left Duparc in command of Quebec, and placed under him sixteen men, quote, all of whom were enjoined to live soberly, and in the fear of God, and in strict observance of the obedience due to the authority of Duparc, the settlement was left with a plentiful supply of kitchen vegetables, together with a sufficient quantity of Indian corn, wheat, rye, and barley. Everything was in good order when Champlain set out from Quebec on August 8, five days after pont vessel sailed from Tadoussac for France. On September twenty seventh, they arrived at honfleur the voyage having lasted one month and a half. This second voyage of Champlain did not restore de Mont's fortunes the withdrawal of the exclusive privilege of trading was the signal for a large number of trading vessels to appear in the st lawrence in fact the operations were so great as to render the profits of the company null the disaster was so complete that champlain says quote, many will remember for a long time the loss made this year quote. for all the labor which champlain had bestowed upon the settlement the result was small and it was evident that if any french merchant were allowed without restrictions to trade with the indians commerce would be ruined and the development of the settlement would be impossible during the first years a beaver skin could be exchanged in return for two knives and now fifteen or twenty were required for the same exchange champlain therefore desired to establish some form of rule by which commerce could be restricted or in other words whereby he or de or any one else who would undertake the direction of the affairs of new france might be protected it was during this winter of sixteen ten eleven that champlain who was now more than forty years of age entertained thoughts of marriage. His constant voyages during the past twelve years had probably prevented him from entering into this estate before. It is perhaps somewhat surprising that he so suddenly put aside this consideration against the marriage. Did he contemplate residing permanently at Quebec, or did he foresee that circumstances would render his remaining in New France improbable? There is nothing in his narrative which throws any light on this question. Champlain does not mention the name of his wife in any of his writings, but we find later that she accompanied him to Quebec, where she dwelt for four years. The name of Champlain's wife was Helene Boulet, the daughter of Nicola Boulet, Secretary of the King's Chamber, and of Marguerite Alex of Saint Germain Lachois, Paris. Helene Boulet was born in fifteen ninety eight, and at the time of her marriage she was only twelve years of age. Her parents were Calvinists, and she was brought up in the same faith, but through the lessons and influence of her husband she became a Catholic the marriage settlements were executed at paris on december twenty seventh sixteen ten and signed by choquillot and aragon notaries in the presence of the parents and friends of both parties among those who attended on that occasion were pierre dugois friend lucas legendre of rouen friend hercule rouet merchant of paris marcel chenu merchant of paris Jeanne Rouernan, secretary of de champlain's friend francois le sage druggist of the king's stables friend and relative Géant Ravenel, sieur de la Merroix, Pierre Noël, sieur de Cossigny, friend, Antoine de Murat, king's counsellor and almoner, Antoine-Marie, Barbier, surgeon, relative, and friend, Geneviève Le Seige, wife of Simon Alix, uncle of Hélène Boulet, on the mother's side. According to the terms of the contract, Nicolas Boulet and his wife pledged themselves, by anticipated payment of the inheritance, to pay six thousand livres cash the day preceding the marriage. Champlain also agreed to give his future wife the benefit of his wealth at his death. Two days after, Nicolas Boulet sent to his son-in-law the sum of 4,500 livres. The balance was to be sent later on. The betrothal took place in the church of saint germain le on Wednesday, December twenty ninth, 1610, and on the following day the marriage was celebrated in the same church. As the young bride was not of marriageable age, she returned to her family to live with them for two years, as agreed by the contract. Champlain then resumed his colonization work, and had an interview with Monts in order to induce him to take some action in his favor. Although the profits to be realized from the enterprise were not certain, it seemed probable that fur-trading and developing the resources of the country might become advantageous. The expenses of the undertaking were also small, a few barrels of biscuits, of peas and cider would be found sufficient to sustain the fifteen or twenty men who formed the nucleus of the colony from year to year champlain hoped to be able to monopolize the fur trade not for himself but for the company of de mont the vessels which were equipped for the expedition were ready to sail on march first sixteen eleven the passage was very rough and when about eight leagues distant from the great banks of newfoundland the vessels were in great danger through the number of icebergs which were encountered the cold was so intense that it was found difficult to navigate the vessel while in the vicinity of newfoundland they communicated with a french ship on board of which was Biencourt, son of Poutrincourt, who was bound for Port Royal to meet his father. He had left France three months previously, and had been unable to find his way to the Acadian coast. After having sighted Gaspé, Champlain arrived at Tadoussac on May 13th, where he found all the country covered with snow. The savages were informed of Champlain's arrival by cannon-shot, and they soon made their appearance. They stated that three or four trading-vessels had arrived within the last eight days, but that their business had been a failure on account of the scarcity of furs. Champlain proceeded at once to Quebec, where he found everything in good order, and neither Duparc nor his companions had suffered from any sickness. Game had been abundant during the whole winter. Champlain intended to visit three rivers, but Bastiquin said that he would not be prepared to conduct him there until next year as he was unable to carry out his designs champlain took with him savignon and one frenchman and visited the great fall he made a careful examination of the country and says but in all that i saw i found no place more favourable than a little spot to which barks and shallops can easily ascend with the help of a strong wind or by taking a winding course in consequence of the strong current but above this place which we named la place royale at the distance of a league from mont royal there are a great many little rocks and shoals which are very dangerous formerly savages tilled these lands there is a large number of other fine pastures where any number of cattle can graze after a careful examination we found this place one of the finest on this river i accordingly gave orders to cut down and clear up the woods in the place royale so as to level it and prepare it for building this was the beginning of montreal the wealthiest city of canada champlain constructed a wall of four feet thick three or four feet high and thirty feet long this fort was placed on an elevation twelve feet higher than the level of the soil so that it was safe from inundation champlain named the island st helen in honour of his wife and he found that a strong town could be built there to-day this island is a favourite resort for the inhabitants of montreal and it is an ornament to the harbour of the large city on june thirteenth two hundred hurons arrived at sault st louis so called from a young frenchman named louis who was drowned in the rapids a few days before the hurons were under the command of ochateguin iroquet and twegorati the latter was a brother of savignon the young huron whom champlain had taken with him to france the interview which lasted some time was most cordial the indians said that they felt somewhat uneasy on seeing so many frenchmen who were not specially united and that they had desired to see champlain alone towards whom they were as kindly disposed as towards their own children champlain questioned them on the sources of the great river and on their own country four of them declared that they had seen a large sea at a great distance from their village after exchanging their peltry with champlain's consent some of the hurons left to follow the war-path while others returned to their own country this interview occurred on july eighteenth sixteen eleven on the same day champlain set out for quebec where he arrived on the nineteenth Here he found that certain necessary repairs had to be made. He also planted some rose-bushes, and caused some oak-wood to be placed on board a vessel for shipment to France, as a specimen of the wood of the new colony, which he considered suitable not only for marine wainscoting, but also for windows and doors. Champlain sailed from Quebec on July 20th, and arrived at La Rochelle on September 16th. Demont was at Pont in St. Ange at this time, and it was here that he received a visit from Champlain. After listening to Champlain's narrative of his proceedings de Mont decided to proceed to court to arrange matters. He held a conference with the merchants at Fontainebleau, but he found that they were unwilling to continue to support the enterprise. He concluded a bargain with them for what remained in the Quebec settlement by the payment of a certain sum of money, and from that date de Mont's company ceased to exist. There was only one man who had faith in the future of the colony, and who remained staunch to its interests under all difficulties. This man was Champlain. De Mont had shown great energy in opposing the impediments to the undertaking which were offered by the merchants of Rouen, Saint-Malo, and La Rochelle, and as he hoped to regain the money which he had already expended, he considered that it was time to receive assistance from the King. Louis Thirteenth listened attentively to de Mont's requests, but he did not accede to them. De Mont, therefore, informed Champlain that he was compelled to abandon the enterprise. This was the last interview between these two men. Champlain was now left to his own resources for continuing his work his personal means were small and far too slender to enable him to support a colony in its infancy the thought of abandoning the settlement was repugnant to him not only on account of the years of labor he had bestowed upon it but also because he felt that there was every chance of success with the aid of rich and powerful men at the commencement of his description of his first voyage to canada champlain enumerates the reasons which induced him to continue his work of discovery the desire which i have always had of making new discoveries in new france for the good profit and glory of the french name and at the same time to lead the poor natives to the knowledge of god has led me to seek more and more for the greater facility of this undertaking which can only be secured by means of good regulations then he drew up a statement which he handed to president gianin whom he knew to be well disposed the president encouraged champlain but in order that he might not be deceived he thought it better that Champlain should act under the authority of some man whose influence would be sufficient to protect him against the jealousy of the merchants. Champlain, therefore, addressed himself through M. de Beaulieu, councillor and almoner in ordinary to the King, to Charles de Bourbon, Comte de Soissons, then Governor of Dauphiné and Normandy. He urged upon the Count the importance of the undertaking, and explained the best means of regulating it, claiming that the disorders which had hitherto existed threatened to ruin the enterprise and to bring dishonor to the name of the French after having examined the map of the country and studied the details of the scheme soissons promised under the sanction of the king to assume the protectorate of the undertaking louis the thirteenth listened favorably to the petition of his loyal subject and granted the direction and control of the settlement to the count who in due course honored champlain with the lieutenancy soon after this event however the count died and his majesty committed the direction of affairs to monseigneur le prince de Condé, who retained champlain as his lieutenant after having caused his commission to be posted in all the ports of normandy champlain sailed from france on march sixth in the vessel of pont Grave and arrived at point Auvache, near tadousac on april twenty fourth sixteen thirteen the savages came on board the vessel and inquired for champlain some one replied that he had remained in france on hearing this an old man approached champlain who was walking in a corner of the vessel and examined the scar on his ear which was caused by an arrow wound while fighting for the indians On seeing this, the old man recognized Champlain, and expressed his feelings by shouts of delight, in which he was joined by his companions, who said, "'Your people are awaiting you in the harbour of Tadousac." On arriving at Tadoussac, Champlain found that these Indians were almost dying of hunger, and after having affixed the arms and commission of His Majesty to a post in the port, he proceeded to Quebec, which he reached on May 7th. The people of the settlement were all in good health, and the winter having been less severe than usual, the river had not frozen once." the leaves were beginning to appear on the trees and the fields were already decked with flowers on the thirteenth of the month champlain left for the falls of saint louis which he reached eight days afterwards here he met a number of the algonquins who informed him that the bad treatment which they had experienced during the previous year had discouraged them from coming to trade and that his long absence from the country had left the whole tribe under the impression that he did not intend to return on hearing this champlain recognized that it would be advisable to visit the algonquins at once in order to continue his discoveries and to preserve friendly relations with them during his residence in france champlain had met a young frenchman named nicolas duvignot who claimed to have seen the northern sea and said that the algonquin river flowed from a lake which emptied into it he also stated that the journey from Sault saint louis to the sea and return could be accomplished in seventeen days and that he had seen there the wreck and debris of an english ship on board of which were eighty men this intelligence seemed the more probable, as the English were supposed to have visited the Labrador coast in sixteen twelve where they had discovered a strait. Champlain requested a merchant of La Rochelle named Georges to give Duvignot a passage on his ship, which he did willingly, and he also made an affidavit before a notary concerning Duvignot's relation. Duvignot came to Canada and accompanied Champlain on his visit to the Algonquins. The party consisting of four Frenchmen and one savage set out from St helen's Island on may twenty seventh sixteen thirteen after having passed the falls they entered lake st louis on the last day of may they passed lake des deux montagnes which champlain called lake de soissons some days after they came in sight of the river gatineau the river rideau and its fall and the chaudiere falls where they were forced to land they also passed the rapid des chats lake des chats madawaska river muskrat lake and allumette island where an algonquin chief named tessois resided On the following day, the Indians gave a tabagie in honour of Champlain, who, after smoking the pipe of peace with the party, explained to them that the object of his visit was to assure them of his friendship, and to assist them in their wars, as he had done before. He told them also that he was making an excursion into their country to observe the fertility of the soil, and study their lakes and rivers, and to discover the sea which he was told was in their vicinity. Champlain therefore requested them to furnish four canoes, and eight Indians as guides, to conduct the party to the Nipissarini, in order to induce their enemies to fight. The chief Tessois, speaking in behalf of the whole tribe, said that he regarded Champlain as the most friendly of all the French, for the others were unwilling to help them in their wars, but that they had resolved not to go to the falls again, and that owing to the long absence of Champlain from the country, they had been compelled to go to the wars alone. They therefore begged him to postpone his expedition until the following year. They granted Champlain's request of four canoes with great reluctance, and stated that the Nipissirini were sorcerers and not their friends. Champlain insisted on having the guides, and stated that he had brought with him a young man who would find no difficulty in visiting the country of the Nipissirini. Tessois thereupon addressed the young man by name, and said, "'Nicolas, is it true that you were among the Nipissirini?" "'Yes,' said he in Algonquin language, "'I was there.' You are a downright liar, replied Tessua. You know well that you slept at my side every night with my children, where you arose every morning. If you were among the people mentioned, it was while sleeping. How could you have been as bold as to lead your chief to believe lies, and so wicked as to be willing to expose his life to so many dangers? You are a worthless fellow, and ought to be put to death, more cruelly than we do our enemies." shortly after champlain advised the indians that the young lad had confessed that he had lied concerning his visits to the nipissarini country by telling them the facts champlain hoped to ensure the life of nicolas as the savages had said give him to us and we promise that he shall not lie any more on june tenth champlain took leave of tessois after making him presents and promising to return during the next year to assist in the war continuing his course Champlain again approached the Chaudière Falls, where the savages went through a ceremony peculiar to them which is thus described. After carrying their canoes to the foot of the falls, they assembled in one spot, where one of them took up a collection in a wooden plate, into which each one placed a piece of tobacco. The collection having been made, the plate was placed in the middle of the troop, as they all danced around it, singing after their style. Then one of them made a harangue, setting forth that for a long time they had been accustomed to make this offering, by means of which they were insured protection against their enemies, and that otherwise misfortune would befall them, as they were convinced by the evil spirit, and that they lived on in this superstition as in many others. This done, the maker of the harangue took the plate, and threw the tobacco into the midst of the cauldron, whereupon they all raised a loud cry. Such was the superstition of these savages, that they considered a favorable journey impossible without this uncouth ceremony. It was at this portage that their enemies had been wont to surprise them. On June seventeenth, they arrived at Saint Louis on the return journey. Captain Lange, who was the confidant of Champlain, brought news that Maisonneau of Saint Malo had arrived with a passport from the Prince de Condé for three vessels. Champlain therefore allowed him to trade with the savages. As the trade with the savages was now completed, Champlain resolved to return to France by the first vessel which was ready to start. He accepted a passage in Maisonneuve's vessel, which arrived at saint Malo on August 26. Champlain had an interview with the merchants, to whom he represented that a good association could be formed in the future. The merchants resolved to follow the example of those of Rouen and La Rochelle in concluding this chapter we may repeat the words of champlain quote, may god by his grace cause this undertaking to prosper to his honor and glory the conversion of these poor benighted ones and to the honor and welfare of france End End of chapter four